Week five, winning big battles. Thought I'd get a shout at the title. <laughs> Let me try that again. Week five, winning big battles. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Last week, we saw that David brought the presence of God into Jerusalem. Let's see how many of y'all remember. What did the presence of God come in the form of? It was in the ark. Good. So we saw that David brought the presence of God into Jerusalem, the city of David, and we saw that God had promised David that he would make him famous, um, a man under God, and the Lord uh, would reign over Israel. And he promised David that in the generations to come that something would happen. David was in this place of wondering, I've got the presence of God in this place. It's in a tent. And here I am in this extravagant palace, and he kind of started to feel bad. And he was like, he called on Nathan. He's like, Nathan, man, we, we got to do something better because the presence of God deserves to be in an extravagant thing, in an extravagant place. And, and after seeking, we saw that God told David, I've got a bigger plan. I don't need you to build me anything because my son is, co my, is coming through your future generations, and he's going to build the house that I'm going to dwell in. And he said, while, you, while I wait for that to happen, as long as you serve me making a way for that, I'm going to build your house. And he promised David that he would make him great among the nations as long as David remained in the one thing, making God great. God is about a relationship. God is saying, while you build and prepare what I need, I'll establish you, and I'll build you up. And I think it's, it's hard for us to kind of accept that as Americans and people in general because we love to play the humility card and say, well, God doesn't want to do much in my life, and I'm okay with being nothing. But it, it's, the, the, the truth is, is that God wants to establish you. Now, established doesn't always look like famous. Established doesn't look like six figures a year. Established doesn't look like necessarily that you have all the money to do with what you want to do. Established means you are going to be set apart among the nation, among the city, among your family, and something is going to be different about you that your concern is not yourself, but your concern concern is building a house for him however he may do it and he says while you do that for me I'm going to take care of you y'all better get <laughs> so I want to give a little recap of what happened last week I'm going to read 2nd Samuel chapter 7 verses 25 to 29 oh now O Lord God I am your servant do as you have promised concerning me and my family confirm it as a promise that will last forever and may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth. You have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. So David, because of the blessing of God, he's ready to build the house that God has promised him in lieu of him saying, God, I will do all this in your name. It's time to build a house that will glorify you, not a house that will contain you, but a house that would glorify you. David's jacked. 
David's at a place where he's saying, all right, let's do this. Let's build the house. Let's build the thing that God wants us to build. I don't know about you, but I'm pumped. And I'm not pumped just because I want to seem like a really on-fire guy for Christ. I'm pumped because I really am on fire. It's not a show. It's not something that I want you to think I'm trying to put on to get you to start uh, kind of buying into something. I am, I am amazed at what's happening in this house. Just this week, I've had three or four people call me and say, God's given me some ideas of wanting to start this and teach this and do that. And it, it is exciting me that the growth we're seeing, maybe not being numerical, but I don't really care about numerical if we can't get what's going on in the heart. If we can't grow ourselves, then the numerical doesn't happen because if God's going to give us thousands of people, we better have thousands of ministers ready for each and every one. Amen. So like, I really believe that God's doing something. And this is where David is. David is at a place where he is pumped and he's saying, I'm gonna, we're going to build this thing. But I think before we become successful and growing as a house, we've got to believe that God says, you give me glory and I'll build yours. You give me glory and I'll build yours. I don't think it's just limited to the church gathering or the church organization. I think it goes for your business, it goes for your family, it goes for your relationships. God says, you give me glory, I'll establish you. You keep me at the top, I'll build you a house that you're proud of. And I think we kind of all want that. We want to be a part of a house that we're proud of. We want to be a part of a a body or a family or a home or whatever that we're proud to be. But I think our definitions of proud have been skewed because our definitions have become all about look at me when God says focus on him and I'll establish you in such a way that when they look at you, they see me. That's the building. I'll build your, you a house so that will people see my hand on you. It's never about seeing you. The blessing is never about seeing you. The blessing is never about looking, look at how much favor they've got. It's about what has God done for them. I need that in my life. God says, here's the vision. I want to build something. Be obedient in giving me honor, glory, praise, and you'll see what I'll do for you. And I think sometimes we got to have what I would like to call realigning conversations. Because David, at this place in the story, we're like 22 weeks in, David has had victory upon victory. He's finally conquered all of Israel, and he has now brought the presence of God into the city, the city of David, Jerusalem, the center of God's people, the center of God's country victory after victory and in this chapter I couldn't move on from it because something stuck stuck out to me uh, in, in this in the scripture we just read that David had to humbly realign and make sure that what he was doing was in line with what God wanted to do he took a pause he took a moment he took a realignment conversation and said now that I look at all the victories that I've done and all the places I've gone, God, let me do something for you. 
let me build you an extravagant house. And God's response is, you're not the one who's going to build that house. You're going to make a way for someone else. And I think we can become so consumed in what we consider success that we forget that the paths we pave are not just for us, but they're for the future generations. You know, like, and we always say, like, the youth is the next generation, but really the youth is this generation, and there's another generation coming after them. (laughs) It's not just about teenagers. It's about teenagers and the kids and the kids after them. And, you know, I'm not counting on God's coming back now. I'm just going to believe God's going to come back, and I don't care if it's now or 20 years or 50 years or 200 years. My concern is not when. my, My concern is not how. My concern is, God, what would you have me do right now? So David has a realigning conversation because he starts looking around and he has a whole conversation in the chapter we just read that we read last week saying, hey, God, I want to build you something extravagant. You don't deserve to stay in a tent. And God's like, no, that's exactly where I want to be. Now you focus on me and I'll build you. He has a realignment conversation. He humbly comes before God and says, let me make sure that I've got everything I need to do in line with what you want me to do. God, whatever you want. And God says, I want to build you something that will sustain what I have to come. I have to get the generations ready, and I, you're going to be the one to get them ready. I need you to build a country and a house that can contain my people for generations to come so that I can move forward and do something. So David has just had this realignment conversation. Are we following? In the whole chapter, we, he just had this whole realignment. God, let me make sure that I'm doing what you want to do. Let me make sure that I have this extravagant house. You're in a tent, but if you want me to, to, if you want to build my house and that's what I'll do, I just want to align with you. And in the very next chapter, the one that I was going to skip over, I spent the next six or eight hours on this one verse. Y'all want to read it? Look at 2 Samuel 8, verse 1. After this, someone shout after this. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. Now that seems pretty basic. Like, oh, praise God, he won again. Like, like surprise, surprise. You know, like we've been reading the the story for 20 some odd weeks. Like, we're kind of used to it now, right? David won. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines, by conquering Gath, their largest town. You see, the Philistines had been enemies and they had troubled Israel for hundreds of years up to this point. And often they won and often they dominated the people of God. And in the reign of David, when he attacks, when he has finally got all of Israel together, when he's unified in Jerusalem, when God's presence is in the place, David in one battle defeats an army and a people who have been coming against the Israelite for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in this one scripture, the biggest enemy of Israel has been defeated and subdued and they conquered the largest town. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come against a battle, it's really easy to win something that's new. But when you've got that thing that's been on your tail for years and years and years, we turn our eye to it and we start making excuses. Well, that's just a thorn in my side like the Apostle Paul. (laughs) That's just who I am, Kyle. That's what I've been dealt with. That's just the one thing in my life that I'll never get over. 
David got the presence of God in the city and in one battle subdued and conquered the biggest enemy that's been giving them trouble for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I wonder how many of us still have not gone face to face with the battle of an enemy or a struggle that always seems to win and we always seem to lose. We have struggles with poverty. So we say, I just don't know how. We have struggled with health. So we say, this is just how I was made. If God created you, don't you know that there is a perfection in your image that we should go after no matter what? Not just the physical image, but the spiritual, the emotional. I believe that in moving from glory to glory, our life should not be dealing with battle after battle, but never going after the big battle. The big battle that always pulls you back, the big battle that's always holding you down, and you feel like that's just a part of me, and that's just what I'm going to have. And God's like, if you would focus on building me, I will establish you. And the very next thing that happened in the establishment of David's house is the biggest enemy in the biggest town with the biggest battle was not just conquered, but subdued. They won the battle. We all have this thing that we just seem like we can't get over. And we're so scared to go after it. In Isaiah 8.13, it says, Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one you should make, that, that should make you tremble. God is the one we should fear. God is the one who should make us tremble. Yet most of us are still trembling at the big battle that we don't want to face. We tremble and fear those big things that we don't want to come against. It's too big. It's been there too long. It's a part of me now. That's just who I am. And God has grace. God does not have grace to excuse you to stay in your sin. He has grace to save you and make you whole despite of your sin. Grace and mercy has nothing to do with staying put because he loves you. No, he loves you so much that he builds a relationship with you to give you a Holy Spirit. And the reason he gets inside of you is one, to make Make you holy and two to show you what does not belong and if it doesn't belong if it's still there you are limiting how much of God's house is built in your establishment he wants to do something incredible and I believe the reason we're not seeing a lot of breakthrough today in America is really two things we're so focused on movements of the old and we're too focused on big battles that we feel like we can't get over. If God is infinite, why are we trying to remake great moves? I've been watching all kind of Facebook about the, the revivals and movements. And almost every preacher, we believe that another Brownsville, Azusa Street again, and God's like, been there, done that. Those were great, right? Yeah. And God's like, I'm infinite. If he is great and if he is infinite, what if the next move looks nothing like those? So instead of focusing on what was, we've got to say, big battle, big battle, 
big battle, remove, remove. Now I see what I couldn't see then because I was focused on the wrong thing and I would never have my realigning conversation to say, God, what would you have? The only thing we should fear is him, but we fear ourselves so much. I think we fear failure. I think we fear having an honest conversation about the big battle that you really don't want to look at. The big battle of forgiveness. The big battle of letting go. The big battle of believing that you're actually better than you think you are. God thought you were so great that he sacrificed his son. And that's like the most common saying, but I think it's the most downplayed. God says, I'm going to sacrifice my perfect love just so that I can redeem what you don't really think you can be. And you're so good and have so much potential but you won't face the big battle of forgiving that person that did that thing to you when you were a kid so you define your life by it. You can't forgive that spouse or that relationship so now you align every other relationship based off of a bad one thinking that that's the standard when God says the standard's my love. That needs to be said again. God's like, don't let the standard of your relationships be a failed one. Let the standard of your relationship be what I look like. That goes for men and women. That goes for Kyle Garrison. When you're looking for that person, when you're in that, that moment, if you don't see God, get the heck out. <laughs> and don't, oh, that's, that's a whole other story. So <laughs> we make excuses, and it's hard and it's difficult. but God wants us to deal with it. In Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, today you're about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to nations, what? <laughs> Much greater and more powerful than you. Don't think that, that, that the mark of a battle is something that's less. Sometimes the biggest victories, I would say most times the biggest victories, are when you face the biggest battle. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. The people are strong and tall, descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, who can stand up to the Anakites? But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that, so that you, I will devour the path like a fire, and subdue them so that you will conquer them. Well, God's going to fight my battles. Yes, but he does not conquer it. He gives you the authority to do that. I'll make the path straight. I'll go before you, and I'll subdue them. But you have to take authority in the victory, or else nothing I do is going to be a benefit to you. And drive them out just as the Lord has promised. Verse 4. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we're good people. No, it's because of the wickedness of the other nations that he's pushing them out of your way. 
Let me read that again. It is because of the wickedness of other nations that he is pushing them out your way. He doesn't want the wickedness gone simply because you're good. He wants wickedness gone so that you can successfully move forward. And there are so many of us stuck here and we pray about moving forward and we're fasting about moving forward. The whole time in the praying and the fasting, God's like, um, you still haven't conquered what I've subdued. What are you talking about, God? You won't look at the big battle of forgiving X, Y, and Z not realizing that I've already subdued it and all you've got to do is take authority in it. It's too big for me to face. And God's like, I've subdued it. Do we really believe in the power of God? Do we really believe in the authority and glory of our God, the Father, who, is, who, who we've been given access to by the sacrifice of Jesus so that we could hold the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit? Do we really understand that? We never want to talk about and go for the biggest battles. When the whole point of facing a big battle is to drive out the very thing that's preventing you from moving. Because that's what we do. We get hung up on our past. Or we get hung up on this thing in front of us. And all we see is big battle. This big thing. I, I can't deal with that, Kyle. I get emotional about it. I can't, I can't mess with that right now. I've got too much going on. And the whole time, God's like, I've subdued it. Just conquer it. You see, you're still, you, we, we still think that we're having to fight the battle. I really believe that Goliath was defeated before David ever threw a stone. You want to know why? Because God said, David, you're the man to go. If God called David to do it, Goliath was already done. Because he says, I will subdue it, and all you got to do is conquer it. Goliath was so obsessed with his own pride of who he was that he did not see the skill that David had. I mean, let, let, let's think about that story again. He was a shepherd boy wrestling down lions. Goliath was a man, but he was only about nine feet tall. I, if I was nine feet tall, I still wouldn't go after a lion. But God said, do it, and he went for it. Do you fear God, or do you fear the battle? God knows I can't get you to move forward tied to old wickedness. And I need you to face the battle of the old wickedness because I need your path straight so that when I say it's time to go, there's no hesitation and there's no second thought. You go. And I don't know about you, but even as someone who's gone through battle after battle, those things that you've conquered come back to haunt you sometimes, not necessarily literally, but in your mind. And then you start to list why you're not worthy to do this and this and that. <laughs> and God's like, I wanted to remove that because now that your thought is on it, if I tell you to move, are you, is your mind going to be clear enough to simply go? Or are you going to start measuring up every reason as to why you're not qualified? I'll subdue it. You conquer it. The enemy is under our feet. You take a stand in the territory. 
They conquered the biggest city with the biggest enemy who had authority for the most time. Because God said, I can't do nothing else until that's taken care of. Hmm. Well, Kyle, how do I, how do I get to that place? Because I'm, I'm scared to fight. I'm, I'm scared to go after this big battle because you don't, Kyle, you, you, don't, you don't understand how big it is. You don't, you don't understand what I got to deal with. Let's look at what David did. Let's read 2 Samuel 7, 1 again. When King David was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him what? Rest from all the surrounding enemies. I wonder if we fear big battles because we reject times of rest. Because we see nothing happening in our lives, so we've been, we begin to grieve, and we, we begin to wonder why isn't God moving. Never embracing rest and understanding maybe the reason you're not moving is not because God's not moving you. It's because he knows you need rest because the only thing to move out the way next is a big battle that you're too tired to fight. And look at what he does in the rest in verse 2 through 3. It says, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. In his rest, David was concerned with two things. How can I give God more glory? And look at where the presence of God is. Now, we know that God answers and said, no, 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 don't, don't build me a house. I'm good in the tent. But look at where David's mind is in the rest. He isn't, I mean, he's in a palace. I'm sure he's got, like, women doting him with grapes and feeding him and, you know, like, all the things that is going to happen to me one day by the presence of God. Like, you, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he, he, he's, like, set up, right? I mean, David's not like, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I've won all of his victory. No, da Dave, da <laughs> David's resting, and he's like, God, have I prepared a place good enough for your presence? He was focused on the presence of God. But when we get in rest, we're so concerned with not what's not happening, the last thing we start to do is give glory to God and understanding like in the rest and giving glory to God, there's something happening that you don't know and that you don't see. David probably didn't have any idea that his next thing was going to be fighting the biggest enemy of all time in the biggest city. Why was he jacked up to do it? Because remember, David has, has, I mean, fought and fought and fought and fought. And God's like, great battles, but for that one, rest. So David rests, and he says, I'm concerned with the presence of God and the glory of God. And over the whole chapter 7, he's just having the conversation with the prophet about what do I do and how do I do it. And then once he's assured, the very next verse, he conquers and wins the battle. And sometimes we never go after the big battle because we just don't know how to manage our rest. But don't get comfortable in rest. The reason you manage it is because it's not meant to last. <laughs> I'm just in a season of rest. No, no, rest prepares you for the season you're supposed to be in. I heard a good man once say, there's no such thing as a season of transition. Transition should be short for the next season. <laughs> If you've been in transition for 10 years, you probably need to pray. <laughs> well, Kyle, I'm offended. Amen. Mark 2, 27. <laughs> Y'all doing good? Okay. 
Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Whoa. Did y'all know that verse was in there? Like, look at that. Because think about that. Well, I don't need to cut my grass because it's the Sabbath. Well, if cutting grass gives you peace, the Sabbath is supposed to meet your needs. Believe it or not, like when I did it, I used to cut my mom's grass all the time on, on the riding lawnmower. <laughs> and it was peaceful for me. I was out in the open. I was listening to music. I was cutting grass. And if you know me, I'm OCD so I could see the lines in the grass. And it, it was just peaceful. The Sabbath was made to, to meet the needs of the people, not people to meet requirements of the Sabbath. Even in the creation of time, God says, you need a day so that your needs are met. So that the rest of the time, your needs are met to such a degree that nothing you lack is an excuse to hold you back from winning a big battle. Uh, Monday at work, it's just a battle. Get the rest and take the victory. Am I talking to anybody? A season of rest or a time of rest is to prepare you to meet your needs to conquer the battle. Let's read it again. Second Samuel 8.1. David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. What if your biggest need lies in the place the enemy takes up the most ground? Let me say that again. What if your biggest need lies in the place that the enemy takes up the most ground. And you're still miserable because you won't take care of the thing taking up so much ground in your life. You, you judge every decision by a past hurt. You're hesitant to any friendship because of a past betrayal. You won't serve in church because you feel like you're not worthy enough. Let me just, let, let me just get real with you. None of us are worthy enough. God made us worthy. And no matter how bad you get, nothing you do can take that away. The only thing you're required to do is come into agreement with him. And when you come into agreement with him, his presence is so thick that the stuff that, that you deem that makes you unworthy starts to fall off because it cannot rest in the presence of God. This is good stuff tonight. So much ground, what if your biggest battle that you won't face is taking up so much ground and that's the reason no seeds can get planted so that you'll see some fruit? I wrote something down. I have to read it because it's so long. <laughs> it said, I, I wrote this down. I believe the Holy Spirit gave it to me. Let's walk in boldness and let God get wickedness out that takes up the most ground so that he gets more glory and can now move us forward because your next season will require more work and the substance of your work will be seen and reassured by more and more fruit. So your next, seat, your, your next victory is going to require more from you. And the thing that's going to keep you sustained 
is more fruit to be produced. But if you don't handle the thing taking up the most ground, it limits the production of your fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, love, joy, patience. What if you don't have patience because you've got so much? This battle that you will not face is taking up so much that your patience is what we call limited. I ain't got much patience today. Y'all know? I ain't got much patience for that either. <laughs> Bless them, Lord. <laughs> Let their phone be ran over tonight. <laughs> Just kidding. I love y'all, but seriously, turn it off. Um, <laughs> joy and peace. Like, wouldn't it be great that walking in battles, even though, like, they're so big, because we have so much joy springing up from our ground, that no matter how big it is, it doesn't cause us to step back and go, this is too much. Because we've already taken care of the biggest battle. We've taken care of the thing that's taken up the most ground. So David fought the biggest battle. And then, that was only verse 1. <laughs> In verse 2, it talks about another battle. Look at this. So David also conquered the land of Moab. He made the people lie down on the, this is, this is weird. He made the people lie down on the ground in a row. He measured them off in groups with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. Man of God. The Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David knew. God does not want Israel to destroy every neighboring nation. God wanted Israel so blessed, his people so blessed, that other nations were subject to Israel and had to pay Israel tributes. Modern day, what we like to call taxes. Now, the Moabites are peculiar because at one point in the story, David actually entrusted his mother and father to the Moabite people. Now, we don't know what happened, but some, there was some degree where the Moabites lost favor with David and Israel. Uh, most scholars tend to think that the Moabs either killed or mistreated David's parents. No one really knows, but the point is that there was something done disagreeable with God and what he wanted to do. They were enemies, and yet in that the, they were enemies and they were totally evil, David has what I'm calling a line of mercy. He took a length of rope and measured out for every three groups, I'm going to take care of two and I'm going to spare one. When you go fight battles, you've got to be careful to remember to extend a line of mercy that is due to people who have wronged you. Because David didn't operate off of his temper and say, Y'all hurt my people. I'm taking you all out. He was operating in specific instructions. It says he subdued the Philistines. And for every three groups of Moabites, he killed two, kept one. He probably in his flesh would have loved to take out the whole nation. But he extended a line of mercy and, let, and spared some of their lives. When you go into fight battles, you got to remember that there is a line of mercy due to people who have wronged you. Had it not been for the line of mercy God gave you, you would have been cut off from producing fruit a long time ago. 
Remember, God says, I got to rip this tree up from the ground. And, 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 and the gardener, Jesus, says, hold on. Let me see if I can get fruit out of them one more year. And so many times when we fight battles, when people do you wrong, you think the answer is automatically revenge and getting even and this and that and cutting them off. And sometimes God's saying, can you extend a line of mercy to some degree in that relationship? You may not have to ever have a conversation again, but the last thing you need to do is curse them. You need to bless them. Where is the line of mercy in the extension to the people that don't deserve any of it? Because you are giving what you've got. What did you get? You got mercy that you did nothing to deserve. So why is it that your enemies can't get the very same thing? Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Think about what David did. I spare you, Moabites, and I'm letting you live even though you don't deserve it. And now I want you to give tribute to the nation of Israel. Look at what God did. I spare you, and I'm going to let you live, even though you don't deserve it. And God requires one thing. Give me tribute. Give me glory. Shine my light among the nations. It's the exact same thing. David extends mercy and gives life and says give tribute. God says, I've given you life. And life more abundant. Now would you please sacrifice your life and live for me? Hmm. Winning big battles. Sometimes the biggest battle we fight is understanding how to extend a line of mercy so that people will see a mercy that was given to you that we cannot even fathom. We're, we are to be the mirror image of God in the earth. Everything you do is, is the version of God that people see in you. And I think about that. I think about every conversation I have. I think about reactions I have. I think about the way I honor people. I think about what people see on my Facebook account. Some of y'all think that's personal, but I'm, it's just blanket. If you got convicted, it's, it's just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's the conversations you have in recreational forms. God says every conversation, everything you share, everything you do should be paying tribute to the nation of heaven. He says, it's my kingdom. And you're my sons and daughters. So reign on this earth and pay tribute to where you come from. And if that wasn't enough, there's a third battle. In verse 3 it says, David also destroyed the forces of Hadadassar, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when Hadadassar marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. Someone shout Euphrates. Euphrates. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Man, David's bad. 
He crippled all the chariot horses except enough for 100 chariots. When, our, when Arameans from Damascus arrived to help King Hadassah, David killed 22,000 of them. And then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the, the Aramean capital, and the Arameans became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious where, 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 ever, where, ever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadassah's officers to Jerusalem along with a large amount of bronze from Hadassah's towns of Teba and Berathiah. In the very beginning of this passage, it's describing the battles. And it says that he was strengthening his control along the what river? The Euphrates River. Look at the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15.8. The Lord made a covenant with Abram that day, that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants from the border of Egypt. the great Euphrates. Sometimes your battle has less to do with your own victory and more to do with aligning with God's plan for his people. What if gaining control of the Euphrates had nothing to do with David and more to do with aligning God's people up for a promise that his rule would extend? What if the biggest battle that you won't fight has more to do with God's territory in Savannah and Pooler and Bloomingdale than your glory and success. Because remember, God's doing two things. He's doing things for you and through you, but also on behalf of his bride called the church. And he says, I need my rule to extend everywhere I go. I don't, I don't want downtown Savannah, and then I forget about midtown Savannah. I don't want the south side and forget about Pooler. I don't want your son and you forget about your daughter. I don't want your husband and you forget about your dad. I want all of it. And sometimes the biggest battles we face is, God, is part of God clearing the way that his control would spread. But we get so caught up in how does this benefit me that sometimes we don't battles, fight battles because we don't see how it works for us. When God says, there's some things that work for you that you can see, and there's some things that you are to play a part in simply aligning a covenant that you can't see. So if this is God's city, Let's start conquering tough battles. You know, we can fight battles of homelessness and addiction and corrupt governments and, and abortions and premarital relations and drugs and that, you name it. But what if the biggest battles come from getting people to win the battle of transforming our minds so that we can fight the right way? Because I assure you, the right way to fight a battle is not to hold up a sign and picket people. Because you know how Jesus won battles? He embraced them. And he showed them who they really were. And what if people are not seeing a true identity of ourselves? Because you can't fight a biggest battle in your life of thinking, I'm not enough. 
when God says, you're the very thing I need to open up their minds to who they are. But they'll never see it because you can't get over the battle of I'm scarred. And in that passage, there are two things. Is this all right? There are two things that stood out to me. David cripples all but a hundred horses, and he brought gold shields and bonds to Jerusalem. David could only care. It, David could not care for more than a hundred horses. So he took a hundred. And you can also find scripture that talks about how God never wanted the people to go back to Egypt. So if he took all those horses, every single person would have had the transportation to do it. But I wonder when I read something like Deuteronomy 17, 16, it says, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord's told you, you must never return to Egypt. It's so easy when you start to succeed in things to become greedy. And God knows that greed leads you to go back to places you were never meant to be. Too many, too many horses was a means for the whole nation to go back. There's nothing wrong with more than enough. But more than enough and greed are two different things. Because as you win big battles, sometimes there will be so much that will cause you to be tempted to walk down a path and corrupt your purpose. Because let's say you succeed in this battle of, I'm not enough. And because you've won so many, a little thing called pride starts to swell up. And because you're so prideful, you think that every battle you hear about must be one that you're called to fight. And then you start to go down paths you were never meant for and then wonder why you're overcome with depression because you're walking on a path that you were never meant to walk and the thing that made you walk on it was that you're so greedy from God doing victory in the other battles. You see what I'm saying? David said, we're not going to take more than what we need. We're going to take exactly what we do need. Because these battles are for one purpose. They're not to gain all these horses. They're not to gain all this gold. They're not to gain, 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 gain. We are supposed to win these battles so that God's presence could be extended everywhere that we go. One purpose. And why did David bring those gold shields and bronze to Jerusalem? It says that he sets them up as a testimony of what God did. And I wonder if in winning big battles, we don't set up a place in our life to share the testimony of what he did. Because you're still fighting the battle of are you worthy enough to speak to people. You know what John 5.31 says? This is Jesus speaking. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. That is the words of Jesus Christ. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. And I wonder tonight, church, how much of our life testifies to the God who gave you life? Or is your testimony still how hard you work to get your job? Well, I've done this and I've done that, and you never, ever mention what God did and what if you're not at that place because you're still fighting the battle of am I worthy still fighting the battle of managing time 
because you've got all this other stuff that it's, it's, just, it's just consuming you. Remember when you win battles to get God's glory, you get, you, God gets glory so that he can move you forward. That was what this whole thing started on. I want to move you forward. I don't want wickedness there. I've got to get it out so that you're ready whenever I need to. Think about the path that David's clearing. David is taking care of all of these battles so that if he needs to go from point A to point B, he ain't got to go all the way around to get there. He can go straight through because it's his territory. I would love the church to walk into a day where we're not having to walk through red tape to claim what's ours. I would love to see the bride of Christ get to a place one day where we really believe who we're meant to be. In 2 Samuel, the end of the chapter, verses 9 through 18, it says, When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had destroyed the entire army of Hadassar, he sent his son Jerome to congratulate King David for his successful campaign. Hadassar and Toy had been enemies and were often at war, and Jerome presented David with many gifts of silver, gold, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord, as he did with the silver and gold from the other nations he had defeated, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek, and from Hadassar, son of Rehob, king of Zobiah. You notice that? It says when he received all of these things, he dedicated all of it to the Lord. As children of God, nothing less is required. He's supposed to get glory every bit of fruit we have. And I bet you will find, I, I went through this time when I was a, a high schooler. I literally had a conversation with myself. I need a testimony, so I need to go send somewhere so I could build my testimony. I, I literally had that conversation with myself because we need a testimony. But look at the testimony. He's building a testimony from victory. He's winning battles. Not, 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 not just simple, but he's just winning battles. I'm dealing with this thing. I'm dealing with that thing. I'm bringing the presence there. What if your battles are not just like your innermost being and the stuff you need? What if the battle you're supposed to fight is simply what David did? What was David's battle? Getting God's presence here, here, and here. What if your battle is your workplace, your family, your family reunion, your lost family member that you can't stand to talk to because they disrespect you? What if that's your battle? Well, they'll never get saved. That's a big battle. Why don't you get rested up so you can figure out how to fight it? Because he's already subdued their mind. It just needs to be conquered by the love of God. He was dedicating it all to God. So David in verse 13 became even more famous when he returned from destroying 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. And when he, he placed army garrisons throughout Edom and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and, and did what was just and right for all of his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Eliud, was the royal historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the court secretary. Benani, son of Jehoiada, 
was captain of the king's bodyguard and David's son served as priestly leaders. What happened? He won battle after battle and after he won the battles, he set order. And I think one of the biggest misses is when we, we win battles, we neglect the setting of the order. We neglect what rules over this and what rules over that and what manages this and what manages that. Set order in your life. It's part of the praise of the victory that you gained in Jesus. You want to talk about order? You've won the battle of Jesus saving you, and he says the only tribute I want is a tithe. But we don't like to set order there. We don't like to set order of getting with God when you start your day because you just don't have time because you get up so early. We don't like to set, set the order of having a conversation with an offender before we gossip about the offender. We, we don't want set order. And look, not every neighboring country was against David. There were some there that was coming to align with him. And we need to realize that believers are, that non-believers, we are not to assume they're hostile. We need to extend our reign to them in love and invite them in. David did it. And he accomplished so much. It says in the scripture that we just read that David did what was right and just for all the people. It's not just Christians that deserve justice. But you know where we get it wrong? We try to bring justice, and then we start to intermingle with the wickedness. Bring justice and be set apart. <laughs> Jesus paid the price. And when he did that, we, we all became worthy of his promise. So I say tonight, let's go after the people in the nations. Let's go after our city. Let's go after our workplace. Let's go after territories and let's go after principalities. I just want to declare that, you know, I, I, I talked to the police department when we first started moving over here. And I said, what's the biggest battle in our area? And they said, this side of 80, the biggest thing was meth. I declare right now in the name of Jesus that addictions would fall. I declare right now in the name of Jesus that every big battle that God, you would just give us a boldness to run after and bring your love. I think it's a good reminder to know this, y'all. Your enemies are not your enemies. The influencer of your enemies is your enemy. We are to never look at someone and regard them as the enemy. They are being influenced. And when Jesus saw it, he ministered and he loved them. No matter what. He wasn't afraid to go after a big battle. He wasn't afraid to break a law of the Sabbath. He wasn't afraid to feed thousands and thousands of people with little means. And yet that's where we're at. I can't do this because I don't have the means. Get over the biggest battle of thinking that God is limited based off of what you have. Is this speaking to anyone tonight? Like, 
let's go after the big battles and claim victory. They are not too big. Nothing is ever too big. You make yourself about the justice of God, and God will do for you what he did for, me, for David. Make you victorious wherever you go, in every battle you come against, in every battle that he puts you in, will gain victory in the name of Jesus. Let's stand. I just think we should all just declare some things together tonight, and we're going to end. Let's just lift up our hands to heaven and let's just, let's just declare some things together. Lord, this city is yours. This nation is yours. This state is yours. Our president is yours. Every governor is yours. Every state official is yours. My workplace is yours. My family is yours. My finances are yours. My relationships are yours. God, I just decree that as we walk forward, any big battle in our lives that we are scared to face, that tonight there will be a confidence and a boldness that rises and falls on the people to realize there's no such thing as a battle that's too big. And the thing that we're so scared to face, God, I decree that people would face it tonight and that chains would fall and walls would break, giants would fall, and we would start to move forward as your bride. I, dec I decree favor over the people tonight that they will walk in identity as sons and daughters of you. And if we're truly your sons and daughters, God, nothing can touch us. And we believe this with every bit of us. And it's in your name we pray. Everybody said, let's give God some praise tonight. I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great week and a great night.